0: And then, you know, my grandfather was a big um, influence on me. He was, you know, a a two-star general, worked for the president, worked in the Pentagon, and then was a successful businessman. I was probably annoying as a child, but I would just call him, sometimes collect calls, and just, (laughs) um, you know, he was a general, so conversations were never long. They were maybe, you know, sub five minutes, but... I you know I took a lot from him and I would just ask him tough questions about business or how did he get from here to here and I was always you know going back to be curious I was anybody that was successful I would always you know want to know how did they get from point A to where they are today
1: This is Durable Value. Get investing in business insights from industry experts and successful entrepreneurs every week. Like and subscribe now.
2: I'm pleased to uh, introduce uh, our guest today Dave Darmstandler. Uh Dave, we've known each other a long time and uh, I look forward to, to talking about your business and your life. Let's, let's start by reflecting on your company. Uh, I, you know, I looked it up, you've got eight times on the Inc. 5000 list, uh, two acquisitions last year, 60 employees, you co-founded the company in 2005. Um, tell, tell us about your company, what you're doing now. I understand it's cybersecurity and managed IT services. Uh, I'm a real estate guy, what the heck does that mean, Right. and what kind of business are you building?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, um, well, first, thanks for having me, Joe. I, this is our 15th year uh, with Datapath. I uh, founded it back in 2005. Uh, a buddy of mine, James Bates, and I grew up um, together here in Modesto and founded Datapath, uh, you know, originally just doing IT services, um, just kind of hourly work, and over time, um, we just saw a demand and a need to kind of branch out into some, um, you know, what's called managed services, where we essentially for a flat fee kind of help IT departments manage, you know, their IT. And that um, now also is kind of, um, we've extended into managed security services where, you know, we kind of keep the network safe from the bad guys, right? So we're watching that line for companies and making sure that uh, their, their networks are safe. Um, so it's been, it's been a fun ride. We've got a team of about 60 now. Um, We've just uh, finished our last acquisition this last uh, July, um, which was a little bit scary due to COVID. So we were in the middle of that transaction kind of right in the middle when COVID happened, um, but we decided to charge forward with it anyways. And it's turned out to be great, um, but uh, really thankful. We, you know, we've know, we got offices, uh, we're headquartered here in Modesto. Um, and obviously we're here uh, in the in the new headquarters that we just built, um, about 14,000 square feet.
2: And we've got an office in Fresno, an office down in Irvine. So. Yeah. Well, getting to 15 years in business is no easy feat. Uh, I think the stat is that 70% of businesses go out of business in the first five years, and about 70% of the ones that survive the first five years go out the second five years. Yeah. Uh, and to get to 60 employees, uh, you know, that's quite, quite an endeavor. I know you have a business partner. Maybe you could talk a little bit about um, like how did you get to this level? What were some of the snags? To, to get here, you had to have gone down roads that didn't work, some that did, what, you know, what were some of the uh, stopping points? What were the inflection points? And maybe talk about also what's it like to do that with a business partner?
0: You know, I mean, for starters, obviously people, you know, walk our headquarters or they, you know, see our website or they, you know, talk to us. And, um, you know, everything looks great, but it doesn't tell uh, the story of uh, the bumps in the road you've had along the way. So yeah. I think we've definitely had... More failures than we've had successes. I think, you know, what's what's helped us get to where we are is we're not afraid to try new things. Yeah. So we, you know, consistently stay curious, which can be good or bad. Um, so we are constantly just asking, you know, what's next and what can we do better? And, uh, you know, even internally, we talk about that a lot, that we're, we're probably harder on ourselves than anybody else is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, create a culture where, you know, we're never satisfied, which I think has really helped us to kind of get to where we are today. Um, you know, and, and, you know, same thing with a partnership, right? Just like even a marriage, you know, partnerships are, um, they're tough, right? So you, you've got, you know, really for it to work, you really have to have, um, you know, people that at the core want the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, in, in the case of James and I, um, we have two totally different ways of getting there and it's, it's worked for us. We now understand how each other work, but it took 15 years to figure that out. And we now, um, Really, you know, it's we really are sharpening each other because we're very different in the way we approach, you know, problems or kind of where we want to get. Um, You know, I, you know, I tend to be kind of big picture, um, and James is, you know, very tactical in the details. And those are two, um, we both play to our strengths well at this point. We kind of know where we live, which is great.
2: You said that phrase never satisfied. And I, I think in business, we all sort of pick up uh, little phrases that are guideposts or principles that we live by. I suspect that's one of yours. That's one I've observed. Um, and that's probably why you got to this level. <laughs> uh, t- can you talk a little bit about that? What does never satisfied look like in your business? And uh, you know how do you manage and grow with, with that?
0: I think part of it is just uh, you know staying open to where um, you never feel like you've arrived, right? I mean, I think a big part of it for me is Even, you know, before, you know, we're having this meeting here, um, you know, I have a open calendar for anyone on my team to schedule a call with me and have one of our youngest guys, you know, schedule a 10 minute call with me. And, um, you know, my first question to him is, you know, tell me what's great and tell me what sucks, right? Mm -hmm. Um, what just isn't working for you as a team member, what's not working for our customers. And I'll, I'll hear that from our customers as well, but those guys on the ground floor have a totally different perspective or seeing something I might not be able to see. And so, um, Just never feeling like we've made it, I think, is just part of it, that we're just constantly pushing to um, become better as an organization, make it a better place for us all to work, make it better for our customers, um, have a bigger impact on our community. Uh, These are all things that we're just constantly kind of feel like sometimes I'm pushing a boulder uphill, but we're constantly just, you know, never quite there. And it's, you know, it can be an exhausting feeling, but I think it's, better than feeling complacent or feeling like you have arrived. You get fat and somebody else starts to take your customers right.
1: By the end of 2021, what will work look like? Get our in-depth analysis and five predictions for the future of work and office space in our report, The Future of Work. Download at partners.com
2: What's really interesting is the, the thing that drives, especially entrepreneurs, like tell us about your childhood. Tell us about the what makes you you what, what built the DNA that said i 'm going to create a company i 'm never going to be satisfied i 'm going to grow a substantial organization uh, m- you know very few yeah. people do that Wh- Why have you done that, and what tell us about that
0: yeah, yeah, i mean as 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 we were talking about earlier Joe i mean I, um, obviously I, uh, I grew up poor, so you know my mom um, single mother, my dad you know wasn 't really around much at that point, so uh, you know we grew up on government aid and we were in a pretty rough neighborhood, you know, like the neighborhood we were in had been condemned at one point, and um, it was, uh, you know, not ideal living, but as a kid you don't really know, but you do know that, you know, you don't have enough food or you can't necessarily, you know, our utilities were being turned off on the regular, so it kind of clicked probably around 10 years old that I just went, okay, I'm not going to be poor. Like, you know, so it wasn't necessarily been money-driven, it was just I'm going to push um, and I'm going to make something of myself so I don't, you know, you know, I don't have to live like this and definitely my family will never experience, you know, the fear of being without. Um, and it's so, it, you know, I, I started to get interested in business at a young age um, and kind of, uh, I mean, I went as far as just like, you know, reading back then was right, reading the, obviously the stocks in the newspaper I could get my hands on and understanding how those worked. And then, um, you know, starting little businesses as a as a kid even james and i you know one of our first businesses was just mowing lawns right when we were i think 11 years old um so you know all of those things were just like little nuggets of you know picking up like how to do business which you know you know i you know looking back we were obviously naive but uh you know we picked up skills in that right i mean you picked up negotiation right even if you're negotiating with an old lady to mow her lawn yeah. Like there's some form of, you're, you're, you're taking something in. And then, you know, my grandfather was a big um, influence on me. He was, you know, a, a two-star general, worked for the president, worked in the Pentagon, and then was a successful businessman. I was probably annoying as a child, but I would just call him, sometimes collect calls, and just, <laughs> um, you know, he was a general, so conversations were never long. They were maybe, you know, sub-five minutes, but I you know, I took a lot from him and I would just ask him tough questions about business or how did he get from here to here? And I was always, you know, going back to be curious, I was, anybody that was successful, I'd always, you know, want to know how did they get from point A to where they are today, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what what things did they do? And, and oftentimes I've found, and you probably have too, life is strange, right? I mean, it's not like a, there's not just a point A to point B, there's definitely some zigzags along the way. Um, and, you know, I, still to this day don't feel like I've really accomplished much. And, and it's, um, you know, I think that's definitely part of it is just continuing to, you know, remain humble and know that like I, I, the older I get, I feel like the less I know. And I think my grandpa was very much that way. So it was inspiring to, to have somebody available to me at that level that, um, you know, and that was from grade school through to high school and even into college. You know, I called him just about every week Uh, let him know what I was working on and um, you know sometimes he would just blatantly tell me how stupid something sounded and it was that you know direct
2: conversations that kind of helped to shape me so so you're probably how old are you now about 40 41 41 Uh, so there's the 10 year old Dave there's the 41 year old Dave there's a lot in the middle that's created the I guess composite of who you are now Uh, so taking that what are you trying to accomplish what you know Maybe you're halfway in your life. What's next? What are you building? Yeah, I mean... Not as a company, but as a person.
0: You know, I just, I want to find some ways to make a a positive impact on this world. Um, Part of the way I've done that now with Datapath is really investing in, to my team members, right? Just personally, right? Whether it be helping them figure out how to buy a house or helping Mm -hmm. them figure out how to come up um, in their lives. Um, And that brings me... Um, tremendous satisfaction to know that I can make a positive impact on that individual and their family. Um, And even zooming out further, there's, you know, just some, some things I'm really passionate about uh, continuing to, you know, help the community at large, you know, in that same factor. So helping people come up um, and a lot of that has been through just helping um, really early stage entrepreneurs that I don't have any Mm -hmm. financial, you know, investment or, You know, any uh, skin in the game, per se, I'm not going to make anything out of it, but if I can help them, um, you know, in their journey uh, to, you know, kind of get their company off the ground and, um, you know, provide great jobs and and do the same, you know, that I'm doing for for my own team members, um, that brings me tremendous value. So I've probably worked with, I don't know, 30-plus startups, Sometimes for years at a time, helping them get from really early stage, just idea to, um, you know, and some of those I have put money in later on, but, you know, early mm-hmm. on it's more just um, hours of phone calls or meetings and coffee and helping them shape and generally whittle down what they're trying to do into something that's um, actually possible, right? Something that actually makes sense and, you know, they could actually put their effort and time into and, and get a return, so.
2: So let's pivot with that and talk about investing. Uh, you have a business that presumably throws off uh, profit and cash. And uh, I imagine you spend some time thinking about how you're going to reinvest in your business or reinvest personally. Um, you're doing two acquisitions a year, two or three. It sounds like you're doing some venture capital stuff. So talk about how you're investing uh, and also where you're seeing uh, return and how you think about that and maybe how you and James think about that.
0: Just at the business level, I mean, we are constantly reinvesting in the company. So um, a lot of the profits stay stay in to, you know, invest in things like this headquarters or those acquisitions um, or even new technologies, right, that we're working on internally. So, uh, you know, that's a big part of it. But there is a point that you go, okay, well, I don't want all my wealth wrapped up in this single company, you know, um, it's not necessarily fear-based, but it's like, hey, you know, it's it can only generally take on so much cash or so much activity at a time. So we want to continue to uh, have some, some investments outside of that. So, you know, uh, probably over a decade ago, we started, you know, picking up real estate, particularly when it was pretty cheap. Um, So we, you know, bought a, uh, you know, a series of residential income properties and some commercial properties. And so those have really um, helped us to kind of just establish, you know, a level of, wealth or, you know, long-term. And uh, we we analyze those constantly and we'll make adjustments to that portfolio as needed if something's underperforming. Um, But we definitely, uh, we we like real estate as another side of our investment. And then, you know, just, um, you know, personally uh, I have, you know, made investments in riskier stuff. So we'll, you know, we'll invest in um, some startups or even as far as, uh, you know, my wife and I are invested in a cannabis farm. So, you know, we've got some really interesting, but all of those have been, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, there's all kinds of uh, puns you could probably make off that investment. But I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's always been a people first aspect. So the leadership that we meet with, th- those are really who we're investing in. It's not so much what they're doing because we know that may change. Even in the case of this cannabis business, they actually made a pivot and they've focused a lot. They found a much bigger demand and return on CBD, mm-hmm. and so they've, you know, now are you know one of the larger uh, CBD, uh, you know, I would say farms, and they've got a number of services they do around CBD. So, you know, those w- we know that's gonna that's gonna change, but as long as we like align, you know, I would say um, in values with those individuals, and mm-hmm. we believe in their skill sets and that their drive, and they're gonna work hard. I mean, um, that's how we've kind of you know made those kind of riskier investments is we're really
2: investing in those people. And that's how, how can you tell if a person's the right person? How can you know who to bet on?
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really tough one, right? I mean, obviously it's, uh, it's, it's time with that individual. In the case of that investment, I mean, I went down and spent time at their facility and met with their team members. And generally that's how I know is, you know, usually when I talk to the, the guy that's not doing the lip service, right. When I talk to the, the people on the floor, and um do they have respect for the leadership do they have respect for the boss is there like a um a common mission and that's really difficult to accomplish right so i know if they've they've accomplished that and everybody knows where they're headed Mm -hmm. um which you know is virtually impossible i mean like something i always like to like to think of is like the church would be perfect if there's no people in it right same thing with the company um (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, getting a, a group of people, I mean, getting a your family on the same page is, is one challenge. Getting a group of people um, from all different walks of life go in the same direction is extremely difficult as a leader. So um, if they can accomplish that, to me, that's a great sign that they, you know, they're on the right track. Um, and then obviously there's the the standard boxes you should check that, you know, they have integrity, that they've got a level of ethics, that, um, you know, they're not uh, – that you know, there's somebody you would want to have a beer with and you you align, um, you know, from a value or standpoint. Or a joint with. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So just, <laughs> not, uh, not my no, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I prefer, yeah, <laughs> the, the gummies. No, that's what's funny about that one, too. My wife and I struggled. I mean, like ethically, we struggled with that one, um, but they were focused on medical. So we felt a little bit better about it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, not that I shame anybody for having some gummies or whatever, but I don't want to put money into something that's going to make someone's life worse, right? Like, right. I don't want to put money into, like, um, you know, something that somebody just can't kick as a habit. Um, not to say that's the case with that drug, but, I mean, it's, you know, but when we saw what they were doing around the medical aspect and then CBD, we were like, yeah, that, make, that aligns with us great. Like, that's, you know, that,
2: that's right up our alley. So, um,
0: but, yeah, there's, <laughs> that one's, uh, that one's been, a, been a funny one for sure.
2: With your business, uh, we're here in Modesto, California, and uh, this is your headquarters. You also have a Fresno location. You have an an LA location. Uh, What's it like managing employees in other uh, spots? How do you build that respect on the floor for the ownership remotely? Uh, What's your plan for further acquisitions and building a cohesive company in lots of locations? And for that matter, why have all those locations? Why not centralize?
0: I mean, for starters, uh, you know, Working with a team that's spread out the way it is, it's, um, you know, I know something I just do as a habit is I, I just literally have a spreadsheet as simple as it is and I keep track of the last connection date and time with each team member. And I try to connect with one to two a day and a minimum. You know, keeping that in mind and, you know, continually doing, you know, pulse surveys and company-wide Zooms as far as a company-wide meeting. Um, those are all things we would have done in person prior, but you know, it's almost like we didn't miss a beat even with these other offices down south and stuff like that. I mean, it's, um, it's allowing us to uh, just ensure that on a daily basis that people are being, you know, are, are staying connected. But yeah, it's definitely difficult for sure. Uh, particularly as simple as it may sound, even though we're all in California, the cultures are very different in each one of these communities. So we are centralizing a good portion of it here in Modesto, which is the reason for the larger headquarters Um, but there is a geographical need, um, just bodies on the ground. And that's both, you know, in what we do, um, that's primarily, you know, when we're supporting large networks, you got to have a network body on the ground if there's an outage or something like that. So that's part of it. And then there's just a value to FaceTime for the customers. So even though we are a kind of remote service, um, you know, knowing that we can send somebody from Datapath that represents us out to a customer to spend some FaceTime with them, There's always something you see, uh, that you can't see over zoom or you can't see on the phone, um, or a conference call. And it just means a lot to people to know that we're coming through and just, you know, spend some quality time with them. We're going to try to pick up one to two new companies a year if we can, depending on their size. Um, it's not an easy task to find the right target for sure. It's diff, you know, it's difficult because there is a lot of factors. I mean, your you know, your customer bases have to align, your services have to align, uh, your teams have to be, you know, similar culture-wise. And so it's, uh, it's definitely a unique find. Um, you know, I wish there was like a Tinder app or something for it, but there's not. You know, I mean, it's just a – and then you've got a pretty good size investment by the time you figure out whether it's going to work or not. You've spent a, quite a bit of time with those individuals um, before you kind of pull the plug or you decide to move forward. So um, so it takes – you know, I, the last one took probably about a year, you know, between the time we met them um we kind of flew to each other's facilities um and uh that you know that was you know that just gives you gives you an example is that it's um there's a lot of emotional aspects too that which is kind of what often slows things down right i mean people have worked hard to build these businesses so to offer to fold them into your company is you know um sometimes a compliment and sometimes it's you know For really it. An, yeah it is and it's an emotional pull at them to uh you know, make that leap, right? They're taking a lot of trust in us that we're going to do
2: the right things, so. Mm-hmm. Let's conclude maybe talking about the future. What are two or three trends that you're seeing uh, maybe in your business, or as we talk about sometimes the future of office space, you certainly have a fair amount. And uh, <laughs> how do you see the future playing out for you, for your business? What are some trends you're looking at? And uh, what's your perspective?
0: Many of our customers, when I'm on the particularly large ones, what's, what's interesting to me is that... Um, what seemed to use to be a really tight kind of hold on where your people are located and how they work. Um, I think probably influenced by these large tech companies are telling people to obviously you don't ever have to come back to the office. Um, So they're now, you know, these companies that are smaller are now saying, Hey, we don't care where talent is. We're going to hire them where they are. They can stay there. We're going to use them. And those aren't, that's not going to work for every role, but I think Mm -hmm. some of these, you know, more um, specialized roles, especially, you know, particularly when they can't find those people locally, I think is part of it. Um, the other side of the coin of that is we're seeing a struggle for the remote workforce, right? So particularly around collaboration. I mean, you think about it, um, a data path, right? So we just hired a couple new people over the last you know, two weeks. And think about being onboarded as a new employee, Right, yeah. and you don't ever come into the office, and you don't ever meet your coworkers physically. Um, so building that rapport and that relationship, all digitally, is um, you know has its limitations, right? So you know it's kind of like think of it in two worlds of analog and digital, and I think there's some things of you know that can only be done in person, and I I think we're going to see more of that. I think these organizations that think hey we're going to remo- we're going to work remotely and we're going to like um, you know, we're gonna be able to collaborate at the highest level and innovate. And I just don't,
2: I don't see it. It strikes me as a piece of identity. Uh, We work really hard to figure out who we are as people. And when you're in a company setting, you begin to take on the identity of that brand and that company and that facilitates uh, collaboration. And if people can't build a sense of, I'm a part of Datapath, Datapath's a part of me. These are my peers and my friends. Uh, then it's hard to give your very best efforts from home on the uh, on the computer. If, yeah, if, if, I mean it's, it's not who you are.
0: It's a, and it's a, you can you can It's difficult to build the culture. I mean it's yeah. difficult to build a culture and and I, I think you've got to have a home, right? I think this concept of like we're going to be this you know distributed network of professionals. I think it will work to some degree. Um, I know there's some more that have said it. Like Dropbox has basically said no one's ever come back to work again in a recent article. Um, you know, in our businesses, as an example, um, you know, we we obviously are managing people's data is, you know, really at the core of what we do, right? So we're we're helping them ensure that their technology is stable, it's up and going, it's secured. So for us to not have a physical location yeah. at all, I think would, would really make customers uneasy, right? Um, and so I, I think long-term... As much as this remote thing is so hot right now, I think as, as hopefully the pandemic starts to you know, slow down over the next year or so, I, I think the return to the, to the office is um, inevitable. I think that uh, people are going to want to. Um, and we have it even now where I think out the gate, people are like, oh, yeah, I get to work from home. And then now they realize that like everyone else is stuffed in at home with them. And they're like, hey, <laughs> please please tell my spouse I'm required to come back to work. Um, <laughs> yeah. so like I, you know, and I do it like I, I you know, I don't think we're going to necessarily out the gate, go back to, you know, five days a week at the office if it's even allowed, but I think we'll, we'll definitely have, you know, I know we're going to, you know, we're already doing it here, a rotation where people can come back in and work even three days a week in the office. I look at a lot of your
2: acquisitions and their, uh, life stage acquisitions. It's a, uh, someone who built a large business and has reached a, you know, maybe in their sixties or seventies and is ready to be retired, and frankly, a lot of the real estate we buy is in a similar situation. Families have owned it for a long time and they're ready to, to do something different. So it's a little bit different from a regular roll-up, I would think, this is a, you're satisfying a, a different need. It, and it takes more patience and uh, more hand-holding and more emotional support, but I, I suspect you're gonna continue to find a niche there that's different from you know a large private equity group going around buying up a bunch of these at, at full market price.
0: Money is one factor. Um, chances are, though, they have some money stocked away somewhere. They've done some investing on their own, or they're, they don't have a lot of debt generally, but they reach that stage. And so they're concerned far more with the mission and where you're going and what you're going to do with their people. And mm-hmm. um, they they like the story more than the check sometimes. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, and that's, you know, and it, and there may be a difference. Sometimes we're we're paying more and sometimes we're paying less and they go with us anyways based on that story, right? Um, it's almost like they want to they be part of the story going forward and not just um, you know, uh, walk away and wash their hands of it. They want to know that you know, they, what they built continues and doesn't just kind of get destroyed. So, yeah.
2: well, Dave, I really appreciate our time together. Uh, you've been an uh, inspiration to me over the years and I'm glad to do this. So, thanks oh, so much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast where we demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, visit crusadapartners.com, where you'll find more information, investors' tools, case studies, and more. This podcast is hosted by Joe Miratori and Ryan Suela. It's produced, edited, and mixed by Melodic, with intro music by Ian Post,